Hey everyone, this is Victor from Cyborg for Life, and today I'm joined by Dr. Robert Rosbrook, the Chief of the Lumington and Complex Reconstruction Service at Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City. Now in our last interview, we talked about his legendary talent in Lumingtoning, but today he's back to discuss his amazing work in the field of osseointegration. So without further ado, please enjoy the interview with Dr. Rosbrook. Hey everyone, this is Victor from Cyborg for Life, and today I'm joined by one of the best limb lengthening complex reconstruction surgeons in the world. You know him as the savior of limbs. Please join me in welcoming back to the show, the living legend himself, Dr. Robert Rosbrook. Dr. Rosbrook, how are you? Fine, thank you. What a, what a way to start the day. Thank you for that <laughs> wonderful introduction. Absolutely. You completely deserve it. It's great to have you back on the show. Now, Dr. Rosberg, in that last interview, we spoke more specifically about your expertise in limb lengthening, but today I wanted to discuss your approach to osteointegration and how you're literally making the lives of amputee patients so much better by giving them an alternative prosthetic solution. So to start us off, can you explain exactly what is osteointegration and how does it work? Sure. Osteointegration is a really, really exciting um, field. And you know, the, the term gets thrown around, it's a bit, it's pretty much a scientific term. And it means, it means the uh, growth of bone into a metal implant. And so many people, if you just sort of look up osteointegration on Google, um, you'll get most of the references are to dental work, you know, because that's how it all started with what a lot of people understand are implants that are um, inserted into the jaw, and then teeth can be attached to that. Truth is that, you know, that, that technology was born many, many years ago and has really become very popular, very well known in dentistry and has had a very positive impact in dentistry and essentially has eliminated dentures. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about is an outgrowth of that and it's called osseointegration limb replacement surgery, right? So it's osseointegration for the limb. It's done for patients who have amputees that are amputees. Um, the most common place is in the femur, right, which is above the knee amputation. We're also doing it in the tibia. We're also doing it in the upper extremity. But basically what it is, is it's, a, it's an advance that allows the patient to get rid of the socket, right? The socket is kind of like a bucket that the residual limb sits in. And it's been used, you know, that's been the, the model for how you attach a limb, an amputated limb, to a prosthetic leg or arm for centuries, really centuries. And you know, we have pictures going back to the 1600s that, that show that technology. And the problem is, is that it's difficult to get a fit into a socket. People have a lot of problems with it. You know, chain, the, the residual limb has different shapes and sizes and it changes over time. Some people have a short residual limb, some people have skin issues. But bottom line is a lot of people have difficulty with sockets, with fit, with um, sores, with perspiration, with irritation. And a lot of people don't get um, adequate control of their prosthetic leg with their socket connection. Osteointegration is a, a way to insert an implant into the bone, right? So, and then the prosthetic limb connects directly connects to the to the implant so now you get an implant you get a prosthesis that is half the size that gets donned and doffed in seconds rather than several minutes right there's no socket so there's a direct skeletal connection between the prosthesis and the residual limb 
So now the energy transfer is so, so much better. And um, it opens up a whole other world in terms of, you know, patients having a more emotional connection to their prosthetic limb, uh, patients having greater degree of proprioception of their prosthetic limb, utilizing a lot of the of their own residual muscles to a much greater extent. Gotcha. So it's a huge surgical advance mm -hmm. that really helps uh, amputees get the most out of their prosthesis. That's why we've called it osseointegration limb replacement surgery. Gotcha. That is truly fascinating stuff. Yeah. When I first heard about it, you know, I just thought the typical socket prosthetic, but then now that you can actually integrate the bone, uh, the implant into the bone, that's next level stuff. So very cool. Now, Dr. Rosberg, who is a candidate for this osseointegrated implant? You said amputee patients, but do they have to have a certain amount of residual limb, um, uh, below the femur or the tibia? Like how, how, how do you diagnose a patient and figure out you would be a good candidate for this osseointegration procedure? Yeah. It's a great question, and I think the answer is evolving. Mm. Um, you know, we're not really sure who are who are absolutely the only candidates. I mean, I, I think the quick answer is that um, there's going to be a very wide range of of candidates for this procedure. Um, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Mm. You know, on the one hand, you might say, well, if somebody has a really short residual limb, well, I don't know if that person's going to be the ideal candidate. You know, is the implant going to be long enough? Are you going to have the the enough um, you know bone stock, etc.? Mm -hmm. On the on the other hand, I can tell you with with a, a lot of confidence that somebody with a short residual limb has an extremely difficult time with a socket mm -hmm. because they just don't have the leverage, and they, the socket doesn't provide stability for that person's residual limb. So on the one hand, yeah, while the person who has a short residual limb might be a more challenging candidate, mm -hmm. they also are um, a candidate who is going to gain the most from the from the uh, from this new surgical approach and innovation. Right. So th I think there's a wide variety. Another example, you might say, well, if somebody has poor skin, mm -hmm. you know, if the skin's been compromised, you know, they had a terrible amputation and they're scarring. You know, is that person a good candidate? Well, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you say, well, it's always it's more challenging for me and for the patient if the skin is compromised. However, that person is a great candidate because without osseointegration, those patients have a really, really difficult time uh, wearing a socket. You know, the, the, the irregularity, the sensitivity of the skin, the way the skin needs to be compressed mm -hmm. within the socket. All of those things cause a lot of difficulty, problems, and now with an osseointegration, eliminating the socket makes, you know, gives that person a great opportunity for improved functionality and comfort, and so that person ends up becoming a great candidate. So to answer your question, yeah. I think there's a very wide range of candidates, mm -hmm. and the people who are, you know, perhaps more challenging actually are the people who stand the most to gain from this technology. Now, you mentioned earlier about proprioception. This osseointegration allows the patient to be almost one with their bone. Um, can you explain a little bit about how that can affect a patient's post-op ambulation when they start to walk and regain their normal daily activity? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, People, everybody that I've treated really starts in a different place. You know, some people, we've had people who are wheelchair bound and we've gotten them walking. We've had people who are walking with, 
you know, some gait abnormalities, some limp, and um, a desire to take their their leg off as soon as they could, <laughs> and who are now wearing their legs for a lot longer um, and much more comfortably. What what ends up happening is, you know, the socket creates a barrier, you know, quite a barrier between the residual limb and the prosthesis. Mm -hmm. So I think people people experience it really both in terms of sensation and in terms of um, motor function. So when we talk about sensation, I mean, you can imagine if you're wearing, you know, four socks on your hand, you know, you're not going to have the same kind of feel of things that you will, right? I mean, the average person, if you're wearing a ski glove and you're trying to take out your phone, you just don't have the proprioceptive ability. Proprioception means the ability to feel space and use that kind of sensory proprioception is a type of sensation mm -hmm. feedback to understand position and and um, pressure, et cetera. So in, in walking, you know, I think uh, proprioception is a lot of, you know, what's the surface like? Am I walking on grass? Am I walking on a carpet? Am I walking on a on a concrete floor? You know, the the you feel those sort of things with your native limb. An amputee is missing that. So with osseointegration and with the direct skeletal connection, the patients feel these vibrations and pressure and sensation through the bone. And so that gives a sense of increased proprioception. One of my favorite things to do on the day after I do the surgery is I'll tap on the abutment. I'll just sort of, you know, give a little tap. And patients react incredibly. They, you know, some people start to cry out of joy but you know everybody gets so excited because they can really feel the pressure and they can feel these little tappings you know this that little tap and all of a sudden they feel that vibration in the bone and they and immediately understand that they're going to have a different sensation so that's proprioception and so people really have a better sense the second thing is when you're in the socket you know the limb is is not is often especially in in above knee or transfemoral amputations and especially when it's short or especially when the residual limb, you know, is wide, it doesn't fit well in the socket. So rather than the, the limb sort of pointing in the same direction as the leg, oftentimes you'll see the limb pointing off at an angle. Right. So talk about mechanics. I mean, that's it's very altered mechanics. You're not utilizing your muscles. You're not utilizing your positionality, mm -hmm. right? So you're, you're starting, you're starting the, the ambulation challenge with a tremendous disadvantage, right? You're just positioned poorly. Mm -hmm. The muscles are not optimal. You don't have you don't have optimal sensation, mm -hmm. right? So you're really compromised. With osseointegration, you are plugged in. You're directly skeletally connected. Your your implant and your limb are perfectly aligned. Mm -hmm. The energy transfer is incredibly efficient, right? I mean, you're you're clicked in, mm -hmm. and you have this new found and substantially improved proprioceptive ability. And all of those things together really, really yield a, um, a much, much improved uh, functional uh, component for the patient. There's patients who have had, you know, neuromas or nerve issues with their, th these issues with their amputation. Now, when you're considering osteointegration as a treatment method for these patients, how do you kind of mitigate this situation? Do you kind of figure out the nerve issue after the procedure? Or do you have to kind of like think about it ahead of time and deal with it prophylactically? Victor, that's a great question. You know, a lot of these, you know, amputee patients who are having problems, 
um, ha can have a variety of problems. Mm -hmm. And it's important for, for me to listen to the patient and really understand where their problems are coming from. Some patients really have minimal um, nerve issues. But I would tell you that as you start to probe and ask, majority of amputee patients have nerve issues. Mm -hmm. Nerve issues come in two flavors, two general flavors. Number one, there's something called phantom nerve pain, where people get sort of this, this zinging pain that goes into the missing limb, right? So if somebody's, uh, somebody has an above knee amputation, they might be sitting in their bed at night and they get this zinging pain that goes into the foot that's not there. That's why it's called phantom nerve pain. It's very real pain. So it's not, phantom is a, sometimes people get offended or misunderstand the term. It's not intended to say that the pain's not there. It is there. It's not phantom. It's not, it's not in your mind. It's there. Um, it's just that you're experiencing it in a, it's referred to a body part that's no longer there. Um, so that's one kind of pain. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people say, well, how does that happen? And the current thinking is that if you've got a cut nerve, right, major nerve like the sciatic nerve, when the nerve is cut, it forms these little sprouts at the end called an aroma. Mm -hmm. Basically, nerves want to grow, but it doesn't have any place to grow, right? There's no connection to anything. So it kind of just creates these little sprouts. You can almost think of that nerve as like a, a, ta a cell tower trying to send out signal, right, looking for a recipient, right, looking for a recipient. And because it doesn't really have a job to do anymore, you might think of it as that the nerve gets frustrated and it's just calling out for a signal. And the, the thinking is, is that that is what phantom nerve pain is. That nerve has been conditioned to talk to the foot, you know, down as far as the foot. And so it's kind of calling out for its old friend, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that's what causes those sensations. The second kind of nerve pain is just um, local nerve pain. You know, somebody gets a, you know, there's lots of nerves and, and the nerve gets sensitive at the end because of the neuroma. Every nerve gets a little neuroma. Mm -hmm. And so just by sort of pushing on that in the residual limb. So like, you know, at the end of the limb, there might be a hot spot. You sort of push on it. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's really sensitive. Now, socket, the wearing of a socket really um, makes that kind of pain a lot worse, right? Because sockets, in order for a socket to work, it's got to be really tight, right? I mean, if you're going to wear a corset, it doesn't work unless it's like really cinched around you, right? That's the purpose of a corset. The purpose of a socket is to get a really snug, tight fit on the residual limb, right? And... Um, that will often exacerbate and aggravate these local tender spots, right? So when I see a patient, I try to get a sense of those things. Mm -hmm. And immediately with the local nerve pain stuff, I can confidently say, hey, listen, without a socket, you know, this is going to feel better. Just like it feels better when you take your leg off at night yeah. uh, and you're not wearing your tight socket, it feels better. And like, oh, yeah, that feels a lot better. Mm -hmm. Well, not wearing a socket at all with osseointegration is going to make it feel better. So that's one part. But the, the phantom nerve pain is a separate part that patients will often experience even without pressure. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we try to address all of that at the same time. I mean, there is an opportunity. You're going to the operating room. We're doing the osseointegration. We do it as a single stage surgery. We put the implant in. We create the stoma. We, create, we, we insert the abutment. One surgery. Well, here's our opportunity to take care of, of nerve pain if it's necessary.
And so there is this new procedure that has, it's relatively new, that is really gaining a lot of traction. There's some good, good experience around the world from a variety of surgeons, and it's called targeted muscle reinnervation. And basically what it is, is you take that, that nerve that has the big neuroma and is sending out these signals and you remove the neuroma. Mm-hmm. And now instead of just leaving that nerve right there, which is what we, you know, that's what I was taught to do when I was uh, in training, you know, 30 years ago, you just sort of cut the nerve and let it sort of sit in the muscle. But now we actually take, we'll take that nerve and we'll connect it to a local motor nerve. So adjacent to the area, there's another muscle mm-hmm. uh, that has a motor nerve that has a little, that, that normally is connected. And now you take that nerve and you connect it to the motor nerve. Mm. And that's called targeted muscle reinnervation. Now the sciatic nerve, the big nerve, or in the leg, it might be the tibial nerve or the perineal nerve. But now that nerve has a job to do. And so the way I like to explain that to patients is it's kind of like putting the nerve on a treadmill, <laughs> right? You're not really running anywhere. You're not really necessarily doing anything in terms of pain relief, but you feel better when you run it off sometimes, yeah. right? You just feel better. And that's kind of what this is. This nerve has a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. It, it's been creating problems and now it has a job to do. It's running on its little treadmill and it's innervating a localized muscle. Mm-hmm. Now, that really helps from a pain management point of view. Right. You know, this, the, 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 the idea of, of innervating a localized muscle is also very exciting. Mm-hmm. It's being used in the upper extremity to actually incre- increase those lo- localized muscle signals, mm-hmm. which can be used to enhance the functionality of robotic arms, mm-hmm. right? And um, so a myoelectric arm where the, where the muscle communicates with the prosthesis and actually moves it. Mm-hmm. So that targeted muscle reinnervation is also a, a way to increase motor signals, which is something that very much can be used in the upper extremity at this time. And in the lower extremity, while we're not, you know, right now we're really not using robotic legs mm-hmm. in the same kind of way that are, that are uh, innervated um, and controlled directly by our muscles. But I do think that that's coming in the future. Okay. And so this technology will also, I think, be useful for improving the robotic component and the futuristic component uh, of prosthetics for amputees. Now, Dr. Rosberg, are there ways to mitigate the risk of adverse events? So things like implant instability, malfunctioning of the implant, uh, or even superficial or deep infections, because let's think about this. So like you, you're putting the, into, um, the implant to the stoma, but then you got to think about infections around the skin, the bone, the implant. How do you prevent deep infections if you were to do this procedure? Yeah. That's a great question, and that's, that's sort of the most important thing that we uh, think about. The success of this project is very much dependent on the ability for the, it's, it's inherent to the name. The success of this project is dependent on osseointegration. Mm-hmm. If the bone grows into the implant, and what is the implant? The implant is a porous coated titanium implant. It's the same kind of implant uh, that is a hip replacement right? So everybody knows somebody who's had a hip replacement. Hip replacements have been the banner operation of orthopedic surgery since, since the 90s. And what I mean by that is that it is one of the most successful operations that we as orthopedic surgeons can do for patients. Mm-hmm. It works very, very well. 
It has an incredibly high success rate. And, and essentially, it's the same idea that you're inserting a stem into the canal of the femur. It's on the other side of the femur, but it's in principle the same thing. So osseointegration is what leads to the success of the operation. Once you have osseointegration, then you have a seal between the end of the bone and the implant. And then the chance of loosening, the chance of deep infection is really quite low. And so we just published our own series. There have been a handful of series that have been published in the world. Um, This is not a brand new operation. This is an operation that's been around. Um, The Australians have a tremendous uh, experience with it. Um, The Germans, the Swedes, I mean, it is the Italians, the, the Danish. I mean, it has been around. It's brand new. It really is quite brand new in the United States. Most people have very little knowledge of it. There are only a handful of surgeons that are uh, doing this and have experience with it mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, but it has been around. And overall, I would say that the chance of a deep infection is very low. The chance of the implant loosening is very low. Um, I think as time goes on, we'll have a better sense of what that number is right now, but it is rare. This is not a common occurrence. Okay. Um, and the reason it, it, it is rare is because the bone grows into the implant and it creates stability. Mm-hmm. It, it removes any micromotion and it also creates a seal between the end of the bone and the implant. Okay. Now, having said that, there is a stoma. Mm-hmm. And so the stoma can experience some colonization of bacteria. And so we do see some occasional soft tissue infections that usually are just treated with an antibiotic and are usually not a big deal. Now, anybody who has a piercing in their body, right, um, understands that you can have a hole in your skin and you can have a metal implant, right? I mean, if you have an earring, that's what it is. There's a hole and there's, there's a piece of metal that goes through. And everybody knows that when you first get a piercing, it usually is some irritation. You might develop a small localized infection. But, you know, once the body develops a relationship with the metal and if it's done well and if it's a high quality metal um, and the shape of it is is proper, you know, and the mechanics are optimal, then the chance of really getting uh, you know, recurrent infections in a piercing is quite low. And we've had the same experience with stomas and osseointegration limb replacement surgery. Gotcha. So overall, the infection risk has been the deep infection mm-hmm. risk and loosening extremely low, extremely okay. low. And occasionally we'll, you'll see a superficial infection, you can knock it out with an antibiotic and, uh, and patients just do great. I assume that the prosthesis is custom made to fit the patient in the residual limb, but are there any situations in which it'd be ap- appropriate to do the reverse, meaning that a patient would have to undergo limb lengthening first to lengthen the residual limb in order to fit the prosthesis or how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question, Victor. You know, you have a lot of knowledge about limb lengthening. And so, yeah, this has come up. I mean, there at a certain point when the bone is really, really short, then you, you know, you start to become concerned about the biomechanics of the, of the, of such a short implant being inserted into the bone. So I have had patients that have had previous lengthenings and that have um, enabled me to insert a more, uh, like a larger, longer, more standard sized implant. Um, It's definitely a process. It's not a common thing. And and I prefer not to do that if we don't have to. 
but um, but in certain cases uh, it can be done. Um, I have experience now with two patients who where we have done that, where we have lengthened their um, residual limb and have inserted an implant, and so far those patients are both doing really really well. Um, the converse of that is, I will say, in the past, in 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 the old days, so to speak, um, I, I I have had I've had experience lengthening residual limbs to optimize socket wear, okay. right? Because in a socket, you really do need a longer residual limb. And when I look back at some of those patients that I, in the past, did um, residual limb, limb lengthenings to optimize the length, today, I would have just put in an osseointegration implant. So, you know, so the threshold for, for needing to do a lengthening uh, becomes higher. And we're able to use a shorter and shorter implant um, to to meet to to fit the to fit the bone. Awesome. So I, I have in the tibia, for example, I have I have put in an implant that is as uh, short as five centimeters. What? <laughs> and you know, you'd say, wow, you know, but that that patient is now over two years out and is doing so phenomenally. That guy could not wear a socket because he had such a short residual limb, yet it was really important for us to, um, to save his knee at a good knee. Yeah. And, um, and so by doing that, um, we have been able to take advantage of his residual tibia and he is functioning on a very, very high level. And so the idea of, you know, converting that to a, an above knee amputation, which a lot of people had recommended to him, um, you know, if you looked at him now, you would say that's ludicrous because he's doing so, so well. So great, great to hear. Well, I guess it's good that you're the best in limb lengthening and now a leader in osseointegration. So every patient should feel comfortable in your care. Um, now, Dr. Osberg, about insurance, does this cover any aspect of the osseointegration procedure or is it coming out of pocket? It's a great question. You know, my, my whole career has been about, you know, my whole the, sort of the defining feature of my surgical career has been to sort of take on challenging um situations, come up with innovative ideas. And so I've done that for a bunch of different things. And, and the way it works in surgery is, you know, you got to start doing stuff. And by doing it, it becomes more popular. Mm -hmm. And as it becomes more popular, patients want it. Mm -hmm. And then the insurance companies get pushed into covering it. That's kind of the process. There's no such thing as, hey, insurance company, CEO, <laughs> Mr. Rich Guy Insurance Company CEO, I've come up with a new operation. I want you to pay for it. They won't even answer your call, right? So that's, that's not the way it works. It works the other way. You know, it's like human negotiation. You know, mm -hmm. we sort of, you start doing it. So I will say that it's not brand new. And, um, but the good news is, is that um, over 90% of the surgeries that I have done have been covered and recognized by uh, medical insurance and have not been, you know, denied. And, and I will say that on the, the, the handful that have been denied, um, both with the effort of our office, my office, and the, the patients themselves pushing, uh, we have been able to, to get it recognized. Okay. So, so the answer is yes. I mean, the, this is covered. It's not, you know, it's not brand new. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is more and more people are doing it. More and, more and more patients know about it. More and more medical literature starts to get published, right? You know, like I told you, there are, if you look up osseointegration on, you know, on the internet, there's lots of papers out there. Um, we just published 
our group, we just published um, the largest uh, American series of osteointegration surgeries uh, in the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. And so that's really exciting. You know, it's things like that that make the insurance companies have no choice but to, to cover it because it's, they see that it's, uh, it's a good operation. Patients want it. And at the end of the day, I will tell you, it's actually going to be a cost saver for insurance companies big time. Because the average patient who has difficulties with a socket yeah. ends up going back for multiple, multiple sockets. It's not uncommon for me to, like the typical patient that I have taken care of might have, might be an amputee for 10 years mm-hmm. and have had 30 to 40 sockets. Wow. Each socket costs about ten to $15,000. Oh Do the math, yeah. right? So these are not, not inexpensive. Um, socket revisions are very, very common and are very, very costly. Prosthetic, the, the actual change in a prosthetic is not so common. It doesn't happen that often, mm-hmm. but socket changes are very common. So like a lot of things in, in, um, in medicine, mm-hmm. at first it may seem like it's more expensive because there's a sort, there's a innovation, but at the end of the day, um, the, uh, this will be a cost saver. And actually, uh, we have published with, uh, with our plastic surgery colleagues, we actually just published an article looking at the medical economics of this mm-hmm. and using modeling have made projections and have been able to show and predict that there will be huge cost savings wow. to, to, the, to the patients, I mean, to the healthcare system mm-hmm. uh, of the United States. Now, Dr. Roswick, you mentioned about prosthetics being that they have to go back and possibly get a new socket prosthetic um, over time. But now I want to ask you, how durable is the osseointegrated implant? Can, for example, can it get wet, handle heat, cold, or even impact? Let's say if a, a patient stumbled and took a fall, how durable is this implant? So the implant, it's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the, the, the implant is extremely durable. I've never seen an, so I've been doing this now for, for about four years. I've got about 75 of these under my belt in terms of my own personal experience. Um, and I have never seen an implant break. Wow. Okay. The way the implant is designed is the implant connects to an abutment and the abutment connects to the, uh, to the prosthetic limb. Just like a ski binding has a safety mechanism, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, if you have a fall when you're skiing, the binding is supposed to release so that you don't break your leg and that you don't break your skis, right? The same idea here. We don't want patients to, uh, we don't want patients to cr- have so much torque that it breaks their bone or it breaks the implant or loosens the implant. So there is a safety mechanism within the abutment, okay? And so you can get um, something that will change. I've had one patient who has who fell down the stairs and it did exactly what it was supposed to do. You know, David's uh, David's taper base twisted, the pins broke, and so not the implant, not his bone, but just that one piece, mm-hmm. and that piece is easily changed, okay. easily changed, yeah. and then you're back on your, you know, you're back on the back, back in business. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is this inherent um, um, uh, safety mechanism to prevent excessive torque on the implant and on the bone. Um, those pieces are relatively inexpensive and can be changed. But again, having said that, the, the likelihood of needing to change those things 
um, you know, I've, it's, it's really been a handful. You know, I've had a couple here, a couple here and there that have uh, required a, a change. And so, you know, I, I kind of um, think of that as like changing your spark plug every few years. It's a simple office procedure. It's something that the prosthetist will become quite comfortable with as more and more uh, prosthetists become comfortable with this technology and, um, and start to, to utilize it. So, so implants breaking are, are very, very rare. Mm -hmm. And um, the changing of, of a part on the outside is something that's part of prosthetic care and that can be done much more, much simpler yeah. uh, in many ways than, than doing, than changing a socket. I see. Yeah. And cheaper. Very cool. All right. Now for patients who are, you know, transitioning back to their normal life after this operation, what's physical, physical therapy like for them? Do they, is it necessary for somebody who's coming from the osteointegration procedure or is it a lot quicker than say for limb lengthening? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a different operation. So yeah. it's, it's kind of a different, um, you know, it's a different rehab. Um, there's lots of ways to rehab patients. I, you know, I've come up with my own sort of um, protocols that I think are responsible. What I do after an osteointegration surgery is I do it as a single stage surgery. So, you know, there are, there's a concept of doing all of it at one time, meaning put in the implant, create the stoma, have the abutment, so you have the basically the abutment, which is the part that sticks out and is what the prosthetic will get attached to. I, I, I have patients, phase one is a period of rest, which will last for anywhere from, you know, two to four weeks, okay. depending on the quality of the bone, how stable the implant feels when I insert it. Mm -hmm. um, not everybody starts at a different place. You know, people start at a different place with this. Uh, people have been amputees for quite some time. Older patients, their bone might not be as strong. Mm -hmm. um, younger patients who have um, been amputees for a, a shorter amount of time will have incredibly strong bone that is normal. Mm -hmm. And um, so depending on this immediate stability, I will determine the extent of phase one, which is sort of just the rest phase. Mm -hmm. Okay. The second phase is called the loading phase, where we take the adapter. The adapter is what the, the leg will ultimately be attached to. We put a little rubber footy on it, mm -hmm. and the patients start a loading program. And the loading program starts at 5 or 10 pounds. They increase by about 5 pounds a day. And so over the course of approximately the next four to six weeks, they will ramp up gradually okay. uh, by doing loading without the prosthetic leg, but just with this rubber footy, mm -hmm. um, and they will get comfortable with the idea of loading it. They'll load for 10 to 15 minutes, four to six times a day, start with five pounds, increase by five pounds every day. Mm -hmm. So over the course of about four weeks, they will, you know, they will get to about 150, 160 pounds of loading. Mm -hmm. So again, depending on the, the quality of the bone, depending on the weight of the patient, mm -hmm. I will determine those things. But again, the typical patient, I would say, is is ready for attaching the leg at um uh at around eight to 12 weeks okay right? so the typical patient will be somewhere in the eight to ten week range mm -hmm. where they will come back and they will get their leg mm -hmm. and when they get their leg they actually start walking right so they've, <laughs> they've got 10 to they've got about 10 weeks under their belt they've rested they've loaded the at that point we feel comfortable and confident that there is um, an, a certain amount of osseointegration that has already happened. Not 100%. I mean, the 100% takes 
goes over the course of an entire year plus. Right. But there's enough at that point. Then we get them using their leg. Um, and then they start walking with crutches for a few weeks. And uh, during that period of time, they continue to get more and more comfortable with it, increasing the load. Now, the, the reason for all of this is really a couple of things. Is what, we don't want to stress the situation too, too much too early because we want to respect the fact that osteointegration has to occur. The second part of it also is that the bone itself is not accustomed to being loaded. Right. And this is the really important concept um, that most people don't even think about for, uh, for amputees. And that is that because of the socket, the way a socket works is that you're not directly loading through the bone. Mm -hmm. And so amputees, by the very nature of the way sockets work, you bypass the bone and little by little over time, the bone becomes osteopenic, which means it becomes weaker right? And um, for that reason, when you put in the implant, now everything changes. The environment is completely different. Now you're loading through the bone. So there are two things about that. Number one, the bone has to kind of get ramped up and get accustomed to accepting that new load. And it has just like as if you're training for the marathon, you got to ramp up with your mileage and get your bone comfortable with the idea with all this new stress. Well, now there's new stress in the bone. This is great, beautiful, positive stress, but this is new stress in the bone and it has to become accustomed to that. So that's part one uh, to it. And part two is that you just want to respect the fact that more and more osteointegration is, is going on and you don't want to disrupt that process. I see. Wow. Right? Yeah. But the typical time frame, I would say on a femur, let's say, would be four weeks of rest, four weeks of loading. Uh -huh. You got your leg on at eight weeks. Uh -huh. You use your crutches for about another four weeks. And so by three months, you're walking without crutches from the day of the operation. <laughs> right? That would be in the tibia. I might go a little bit longer. I might go four weeks of rest, six weeks of loading. Uh -huh. Now you're at 10 weeks. Uh -huh. Maybe use crutches for six weeks. And, uh, and then so you're walking at 10 weeks and you're off your crutches by, by 16 weeks. That's kind of what I've been, um, that's, that's been the time frame that we've been experiencing. Mm -hmm. And then I let patients kind of just continue to increase the load and, and resume whatever activities they feel comfortable. Okay. I do think that once you have a solid osteointegration and once the bone um, gets stronger, you can do everything. Okay. So I don't think that there's a, a, a reason that a patient shouldn't be able to run. Mm -hmm. I think that it takes, you know, we have to respect the amount of time it takes. And it's going to take several months to get to that point. Mm -hmm. But little by little, the bone is stronger, the connection is stronger, and then the patient can do everything. And then once they're doing that, they'll be able to do it even better. I mean, I, you know, I've had patients, and I'll send you some video clips of, of people um, walking, mm -hmm. dancing, you know, doing things that they, you know, couldn't have done. This, this patient of mine, Steve, was telling me the other day how, you know, he was able to dance at his daughter's wedding. He couldn't even wear a prosthetic because he had such a a misshapen residual limb with really poor skin and he was in a wheelchair and he was dancing and then he broke out into this dance with my nurse nancy and it was incredible i mean he was doing the bachata and he was dancing and he's spinning her around and it was really phenomenal yeah. so yeah this thing can this thing can take some load it can take a joke mm. <laughs> Now, Dr. Rosbrook, you have an amazing, amazing knowledge and uh, experience in this field of osteointegration. And let's not even talk about your limb lengthening experience. That's next level. Um, why should patients in need of this futuristic procedure seek you out at the HSS? How do you guys stand out above the rest in the field who are currently involved in this type of work? 
Yeah, this is, well, this is brand new. There are yeah. really only a handful of, of us that are even dabbling in this right now. So I think that, you know, at this point, I, I, I would say, you know, there it's not available in many locations. And um, so it is available here. Um, uh, we are really excited about this. We've created a program. Um, we've got a full team on board with, with our own local uh, prosthetists who have a lot of experience with uh, physical therapists who have a lot of experience. And so we've been doing it and we have a lot of experience with it and we've gotten some great results. We've published our results. So I'm happy to see patients. Um, I do think that over time, um, I, I, my prediction is that this is, I mean, this is good stuff. Yeah. And if something is good, it's going to grow. Right. And so the growth of this is going to be exponential, exponential. You know, this is only if this is only a few years in in the United States, and I've seen even my the growth in my practice grow exponentially, and this will grow at a national level exponentially, which means that yeah, we're going to get busier and busier and and continue to be the leaders in the field, and but we're teaching other people. Mm. We want to teach other prosthetists. We want to teach other surgeons. Uh, in fact, uh, we run a um, I'll do a shameless plug for our uh, our educational course. I mean, we run a um, what's called the Mengi's Memorial HSS Limb Deformity course every year, oh, wow. and we feature a variety of topics. And uh, this year, the topic is going to be uh, limb salvage and amputation reconstruction. And half of the meeting, literally half of the meeting, is going to be on osseointegration, limb replacement surgery. Uh, Dr. Um, Munjit Almendaris mm -hmm. is going to be joining us. Dr. Kevin Tetsworth is going to be joining us. These are leaders in the field from uh, Australia. We're going to have other local leaders, including David Otterburn, mm -hmm. Taylor Reef, um, um, uh, talking on this topic. So this is going to be really exciting. And and I would and this is designed to teach whoever wants to learn. Yeah. You know, prosthetists patients, mm -hmm. uh, other surgeons. It's primarily meant for other surgeons. Yeah. So um, I think that over time, there will be a variety, you know, there'll be a number of centers that are going to become interested in this and do it responsibly. I think like any new technology, you have to embrace it with, uh, with enthusiasm and with a little bit of humility. Right. You know, you have to sort of, and you have to gain experience, but you have to carefully look at your results, learn from your experience, publish your experience, share it with other with colleagues mm -hmm. and i think that's sort of the key key to success yeah. but at this point you know there aren't too many too many people who are interested in this crazy new thing that we're <laughs> doing so you know we're come on over we're it um, um and uh, we'll do a great job for you uh if you're an amputee and you're interested in in knowing more about this i mean i've tried to put out a bunch of educational material mm -hmm. on our website osseointegrationusa.com, mm -hmm. um, the HSS webpage, um, which is called hss.edu forward slash LSARC, mm -hmm. which stands for Limb Salvage and Amputation Reconstruction, mm -hmm. um, uh, has a lot of great content. Okay. So, but at this point, you know, anybody who's interested, just give my office a call, shoot me an email, and we'll get you in. Come on over. We're, we're seeing patients from all over the country, not just the Northeast. And um, I'm really excited to be able to have, you know, this this tremendous impact on as many lives as I can.
<laughs> man. Well, you've heard it there, ladies and gentlemen. He is a pioneer in limb lengthening and now one in osseo integration. You know, Dr. Hasbro, I gave you the, the nickname Savior of Limbs, but I think I'm gonna have to give you a new nickname, the creator of cyborgs. <laughs> Because that's what you're into now. So very cool. Awesome. Well, everyone, that is Dr. Robert Rosbrook from the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. Dr. Rosbrook, thanks so much for your time. Victor, you're a real pro. Thank you for the interview. Um, and I really, really hope that uh, this does what it's intended to. And that is get the word out because this is really, really exciting, positive stuff. Mm -hmm. And the more people that know about it, the better it is. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for the interview. Take you got care. it. I'll make sure. Everybody, if you're interested in this or if you know an amputee patient who's considering um, uh, socket prosthetic and wants to consider this option, I'll have all of Dr. Rosberg's links to Ossie integration below the video and you can check it out there and I'll make sure I push this out and get the word out. So take care, take care Dr. Rosberg. Take care. Have a great right. day. You Bye. Got it. Bye. Now that was a cool interview. Dr. Rosberg is rapidly advancing treatment modalities for amputee patients with osseointegration as a solution, thus improving their quality of life over what's possible with typical socket prosthetics. He's literally creating cyborgs, which is pretty darn cool if I might say so myself. Now, if you're an amputee patient or you know one who's considering osseointegration as a solution, or even if you're a patient in need of limb lengthening or deformity correction of any kind, and you'd like to get in touch with Dr. Rosberg at HSS, you can find all of his contact information in the show notes. Until next time, this is Victor from Cyborg for Life, signing out.